If you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to Ephesians chapter chapter 6, verses uh, 10 through 20. Uh, we'll be looking at verse 16 this morning. He's a good-looking guy, isn't he? So we are back to doing, <laughs> talking about uh, the armor of God. That's what we call that section. Every empire, every nation, every country uh, is built on, on war. Uh, and so it would have been a very common and easy sight thing for, him to have, for Paul to have drawn upon to say, uh, hey, let me talk about the Christian, the elements of the Christian life by describing the kind of military garb that an average soldier would have worn. And so he talks about the belt of truth, which reminds us that uh, of Jesus' words, that his word is truth, that we should gird ourselves with the truth of Jesus' word, and also that we should live truthful, godly lives. And he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, about how we are imputed, we are given the righteousness of Jesus. Instead of looking upon our good deeds, or even upon our sins, instead of seeing us, God sees Jesus. And so the breastplate of righteousness reminds us of that theological impact that Jesus made on us, but also reminds us that we are to live righteous, upright, and holy lives. And of course, um, my favorite part of the ensemble so far, when we gave uh, Shoes of the Gospel of Peace for Carrie to, to, to prepare, this is what we ended up with. So I don't know if we'll give her anything else for a while. Those might be overdoing it. Although I don't know that this isn't overdoing it either. But anyway, Shoes of the Gospel of Peace remind us that God, especially in Ephesians chapter 2, that God, through Jesus, has made peace with us. That we were his enemies, and through the cross, he made peace between you and him. And it reminds us then that we are given the God, notice it's the gospel of peace, that our good news, our message to the world is a message of peace. And it's not just peace with God, but it's peace with other believers. It's peace that, that we experience here in the fellowship of different people from different ages and different nationalities and all kinds of differences that are happening in here. But we are unified with this peace, with this love, with this fellowship. And so the shoes of the gospel of peace. And today... Um, we move on to verse 16, uh, and we're going to look at this piece of text here. And as uh, Paul has uh, coined it, we'll use the New Calicut version. Uh, and if you have your, your bulletin, I don't know where I put mine, but if you have your bulletin on the flip side of the bulletin, we have sermon notes and the verse of the day. And so um, follow along. But also have it open your Bibles, because we'll go to some different passages. So I would translate this very literally, in all... And we have a blank there, and all blank. Taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the burning arrows of the evil one. And so, um, Mark Lytle, who is our resident uh, woodsmith. No, that's not right. Woodsmith? Carpenter? Just like Jesus. <laughs> and you even have, you get in the hair, it's got to go a little longer. You need to work on the beard, though. That's right. Uh, so we have, this is our shield. We're not going to put this on him because he will fall over. If you notice, uh, I asked Mark to make something that would look some, somewhat like a door. And that's important because the word that we translate here, shield, can also be translated door. Something shaped like a door because a shield, and it would have even probably been much larger than this. It would have been something that you could have really fit your entire body behind. Because if you think about it, if you have swords or arrows or spears coming at you, how big do you want your shield? How about body size? Like, 
this tall, this wide, and just set it right here. Right? I mean, we want a big shield. We want a door. We want something that people can't get through, something very large to protect the whole of the body. And I think that's an important and an emphasis that we have here in this text of, of faith, of how important the shield is, because it is your front line of defense. And it's going to cover the whole body, not just the chest, not just the waist, not just the feet, but the whole body has to get behind. Your whole body has to get behind faith. And I want you to notice that. Then we have this going on here. It's interesting. In the, in the Greek text, um, it reads very literally, in all, taking up the shield of faith. In all, taking up the shield of faith. Now, you all speak English as, in, as a language, and usually native language here. What's missing? In English. Yes, like a noun, like something's missing there. In all what? What are we talking about? And so if we look at the different translations, yeah, all the different translations offer something different. They've got to fill that gap with something. And so the English Standard Version, which I use most of the time, just so you know, in all circumstances, the King James Version says, above all things, um, all the New International Version says, in addition to all of this, so all of the things that he's talked about, and then adding to that, the shield of faith. And the NRSV uh, travels with that as well, with all these. So again, thinking about everything that's come before, with all these things. So what is Paul getting at then? What is he trying to get at here? In all what? In all times? In all places? In all circumstances? Yes. Right? Yes. That's the power of this. In everything, in everything you face, in every moment that you have, in everything that comes up, hide behind that shield. Use that shield. Faith always, always faith. Always faith. And that's the power of what he's getting at. And I think that's significant because how often do we leave faith behind at home? It's so quick. You know, the, the week starts, the day starts uh, and, and, and we're just immediately rushing, and we're hitting the ground running, and, and perhaps the first moment that you have to breathe is the moment 15 minutes after you put the kids to bed and 15 minutes before you have to go to bed. And that's the moment that we finally stop and think, oh my goodness, I didn't think about God once today. And things just got so busy. Went to meeting after meeting. Went to practice after practice. I, when did I think about God? When did I think about God? And so I think that we often miss what Paul is after here, and that's a very dangerous situation for us to be in because without faith out front all the time, we are vulnerable to attack. Certainly the breastplate of righteousness can protect us from some things, but it's not going to protect us from everything. And so the shield must be out front. And so I've been sort of thinking about this a lot over the past several weeks, and, um, and I have something that I've been practicing over the past, well, it's about a month and some change now, something I've been working on. Uh, it's taken from a book by a guy whose name is D.A. Carson, Praying with Paul. It's a good book. You might want to check it out, Praying with Paul. But I, I kind of garnered this idea from his book. And I have spent most of my life, in my prayer life, focusing on big chunks. So, like, I get up early, I'll pray for 15, 20 minutes. Or when I'm really pious, I'll pray morning, noon, and night. And you take these big chunks of time, and we encourage that. And of course, you, I'm not saying you should set that thing aside. But I often find that even in those times, I'll start my day with prayer, and I'll begin going well to start with. But even by the end of the day, I've sort of forgotten about God. Everything isn't covered with that shield of faith. And so what I've started doing is I've started praying, I don't know, micro-prayers a little mini prayers before I turn the engine over. Um, 
before I make a phone call, before I enter a meeting, before I pick up a book to read, before, um, before anything, I begin to just say, even if it's just the 30 seconds, Lord, I pray that you'll bless this person who I'm about to call. I pray you'll bless our time together or our conversation. I pray that you give me an opportunity to share the good news with them. Right? Just these little mini prayers. And in this way, in this way we bathe every single moment with that always faith concept. And everything that comes at you, then you always have that shield out front. You always have that in the way blocking you and protecting you from anything that's coming at you. And so this is something that I've been utilizing lately, and I would, I would encourage it to you uh, in order to carry on this concept of always faith. Well, let's dig deeper into what we mean by the word faith. Because in Ephesians, uh, Paul uses it in three distinct ways. He uses it to talk about salvation, he uses it to talk about confidence, and he uses it to talk about unity. Faith in salvation. So the first point here, faith in salvation. And we find this in Ephesians chapter 2. We've talked about this verse a few times. Uh, let's look at it again. Acts, Acts. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your undoing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one could boast. And contextually in chapter 2, what Paul is talking about, he's talking about our state before Jesus Christ, our state before our our lives in him. He talks about our deadness to sin, which is more than just a moment of thoughtlessness. It's more than just the careless actions or the bad habits we have. It is a way of life. He says here in verse 3 that we were carried, uh, we, lived, we lived in our passions and we carried out the desires of the body. So if I wanted to have sex, I had sex and I didn't worry about the consequence. If I wanted to hurt someone, I hurt someone and I didn't worry about the consequence. We just didn't care about those kinds of things. We were driven by what our desire was. The desire in the moment and I fed it. And that is a way of life. It's not just one addiction. It is your entire perspective. But it goes even beyond that because he talks here in chapter 2 as well. Go home and read it, uh, verses 1 through 8. He talks about the prince of the power of the air in verse 2. And that this is a spirit that is at work in the lives of people. And here he's talking about the evil one, which we read in our verse today in in Ephesians 6, 16. Or he's talking about Satan, as we learn earlier in chapter 6. But it's not just Satan because that's kind of like a... I don't know. I mean, we don't see Satan running around, right? I mean, you don't see him acting. Um, What we do see, though, is we see powers and principalities. We see rulers. We see authorities. We see CEOs, and we see armies, and we see governors, and we see judges, and we see presidents. We see all of these kinds of things, and these are sort of under his control. He says to Jesus, I own the kingdoms of the world. I give them to anyone I want. We see these, these vassals that he has created, these economies, these things that he has made, and we offer our allegiance to them, and they shape the way we live our lives. So we have this coming from within ourselves, our desires and our passions driving us to do those things that are wrong. But we also have the spirit of disobedience that is alive in the powers of the world. And we offer our allegiance to those things. And so we find ourselves doubly damned. He says here that we are by nature, in verse 3, the children of wrath. We are destined for the wrath of God because the King of kings and the Lord of lords is coming to set up his kingdom forever and ever and ever. That was really half-hearted. Like, that's good news, isn't it? Have you, have you watched the news this week, anybody? 
It is good news to say the king is coming and his kingdom is, is going to be full of peace. His kingdom is going to be full of righteousness and he will reign forever and ever. That's good news, right? Yes. And that's the kingdom we're anticipating. That's the kingdom we belong to. That's the kingdom we're longing to see revealed. And, and, and before Jesus, we had no chance. We had no place in that kingdom. And so we are building then something new. And what we mean by faith then, thinking about all of those things, thinking about sin in its large, huge, cosmic context, Faith, when we talk about you as a person, as an individual, faith is much more than you just not doing that one bad thing you used to do. It's more than just setting aside that one bad habit. It is changing everything about who you are, both within and without, what you think, what you do, what you believe, who you give your allegiance to. All of these things are transformed when you say, Jesus is my Messiah. Jesus is my King. That is a huge, life-altering transformation. I want you to catch a glimpse of the world-changing power that is alive in this. And I also want you to see what we saw here in verse 8 here, or verse 9. It is not a result of works. Right? You aren't working yourself into the kingdom of God. You aren't even believing yourself into the kingdom of God, as though you could sit there and think really hard, right? To get into the kingdom of God. No, it is done for you. It is a gift that has come from Jesus to you. You notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is like one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Verse 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. It doesn't say you decide to become new creation. It doesn't say you wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to become new creation. It says, no, because of Jesus, there is new creation. So some of you here today need to recognize that you need to stop trying so hard and let God just do what God has already done in your life. That he has already transformed your mind, that he has already filled you with the Spirit, that he has already set a desire in your heart for all the holy things, the things of God, and that you don't have to work yourself out of those bad habits. You have to recognize the truth. You are now a child of God. You are saved. There is new creation. That resolution, that decision, that understanding, right, that changes the way we live our lives. But it's done for you. And that's good news. Faith in salvation is a powerful thing, but it doesn't stop there. The good news of God just expands. We also have this, faith in confidence. Faith in confidence. And I draw you to look at um, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. It really even begins back in verse 7, but we won't read all of that for the sake of time. But verses 8 through 13, this is great stuff. Get out your pen, do some underlining. To me, sorry, that's not right. This was, I'm starting in verse 11. Sorry, verse 11. Typo. Paul didn't do the slides this week. I did. That's why. That's why. So beginning with verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering, which is your glory. His suffering is your glory. That's a sermon in and of itself. 
can get lost in my thoughts here. Can't do that. Good. Focus. Contextually, again, what Paul is talking about here is he's bringing up the unsearchable riches. He brings up the unsearchable riches of Christ in verse 8, and he he brings up the mystery that is being revealed in verse 9, and he talks about the manifold wisdom of God that is being revealed in the church, that as we live our lives together, as we live our lives together, we are witnessing to the powers, the principalities, and all the people who are caught up in the sinful way of life. We are witnessing to them. We are revealing to them the wisdom of God. Our life together reveals to the world the wisdom of God, because they get to see the kingdom of God at work here and now before they see the kingdom of God come in its fullness. In verse 11, he is revealing that and, um, and revealing that to the world, revealing that to us. And verse 12 tells us that we have boldness and access. Boldness and access. Boldness is something we have in faith. How bold is your faith this morning? Faith is at its very core a trust and belief in God, a belief that God will do what God said he will do. In Romans chapter 4, Paul uses Abraham as the great pinnacle of faith because Abraham was 90 years old and his wife was 80 and God said, you're going to have a son. And Abraham said, what? Right? 90 and 80 aren't great you know, birth-giving years, generally speaking, right? I mean, that's, that's not... In fact, Paul says, he said, Abraham considered his body dead. He considered it, it was no... There's no produce that's coming out of him or Sarah. They are dead. And yet, Abraham believed the promise. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised... That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for you and for me. Because it will be counted to us who believe, who put our faith, who put our trust in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The example then of Abraham is this. A man who was 90 years old was told he would have a son, and instead of saying, I don't think that's going to happen, he said, God, do what you said you'd do. And this is echoed in the life of Jesus. Jesus who is praying in the garden of Gethsemane, who is crying out to God and who sees the torches of his persecutors, the torches of his murderers and betrayers coming towards him. And he comes to his disciples and instead of saying, hey, we got to get out of here, it's dark, we can slip away and no one will find us. Or in saying, hey guys, pull out your swords, we got to fight on our hands. Or calling that 12 legion of bodyguard angels he said he had access to. He says to his disciples, rise, let us go here my betrayers. And he faced death brutally because he believed God would do what God said he would do. That God said, I will raise you up. And Jesus said, God will do that. Where's your boldness, church? Where's your faith? Where's your strength? What do you see coming at you? What do you see coming down the road? What are you cowering from? What are you afraid of? We see faith means this. It begins with saying, God will do it. And if God is for us, as we sang this morning, if God is for us, then who can be against us? What weapon formed against us shall prosper? What could make it through that shield of faith? The scriptures say, nothing, for our God will fight for us. Where's your boldness, church? Where's your strength of faith? 
The scriptures tell us that, that with that boldness comes an access, a unique access to God himself, an access that no one else has. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, this, this beloved verse, which you've probably heard before. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings. Let me ask you this. Are you fully assured in your faith? Or are there lingering tendrils of doubt that are grabbing hold of you and pulling you down? My message to you this morning is cut those off and put your faith fully in God because he has given you access to the heavenlies. He has given you access through his son. And if his son comes to him and says, Father, I've heard from one of your children, who is going to say no? If Emery comes to me and says, hey, listen, my best friend at school, she needs food. She's hungry. She's being abused. You need to step in and help. Am I going to tell my little girl no? No, I'm going out to fight for whoever she says you fight for. Jesus is doing that for you. He is the mediator between God and men. You have access to God himself. So where is your boldness? Where is your strength of faith? Are you accessing, not daily, not just in the morning, the noon, and the night, but every moment, are you accessing what you have in faith? Because what you have in faith can overcome kings and armies and death itself, where is your faith? Where is your confidence? Take hold of what you've been given. Take hold of it. Yet, you know, there's something I notice in the Christian world, especially right now, and maybe it's always been there and I'm just getting old and jaded. I'm not sure. Relatively, right? Paul. Um, What I notice is that There is a lot of fear out there amongst our people, amongst the church. A lot of fear. And I see this especially like Facebook posts, you know, and internet junk. And and even talking to people, I notice a lot of fear, a lot of skepticism, a lot of, I don't know what's going to come of us. I don't know what's going to happen next. I see a lot of fear in in many different ways. And I want to say that fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. And one of the things that we are afraid of is new information, is change, and is questions that come against the things that we've always thought or believed. And what I notice Christians doing when they face those three things is hiding behind the shield of faith. See, this isn't isn't something, this isn't a house, this isn't a tent Right? This isn't something that we just set up and we kind of hang out in front of the whole time. No, this is a part of the weapon of war. And it's going forward. It's the shield that pushes you forward, that protects you as you are into the battle. And what I notice Christians doing um, is being very immovable. That they've stuck their shield in the sand. Boom, it's right here and I'm staying right behind it. I'm standing behind it and it's not going to move. And what's the problem with that? Stagnant. You have a right side and you have a left side, and the enemy is very mobile, going left and right. And so your shield, your faith must be agile. You must be able to pick it up and move it around. You must be able to use it. You must be able to let it protect you in new ways. If your shield is stuck in what place, what good is it? Fear of change? Fear of being wrong, fear of looking foolish. Faith at its core is the very opposite of this. Faith is comfort in the unknown. 
Faith is confidence in the face of change. Faith is a willingness to be wrong. And this, I know, I, know, I know that none of you have ever been wrong before, and so this isn't for most of you. But I've noticed that Christians are really afraid of being wrong. And which is an odd, odd thing for this job that I have, isn't it? Who's like to come every Sunday and say, hey, let me talk to you about the Bible a little bit. And maybe out of maybe one of the sermons that I do, 52 in a year, maybe out of one of those sermons you'll find something new. And you say, no, 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 no. I have found a perfect doctrine for all times. I've got it right in front of me. What good am I? What good is the scriptures if it, isn't in, if it isn't piercing us every time we open it up and showing us something new? What good is the scriptures? I found actually just a few weeks ago, I was wrong. It wasn't Laura. Usually that's, that's a good like, husband-wife joke, and I missed it. Uh, but I realized I was talking with a professor, a friend of mine, um, about a passage in Revelation and its relationship to, to a couple of different things. I was like, oh my goodness, I've been wrong. Like, these times. So it changed my beliefs, right? Because I was wrong. The scriptures told me something new. The scriptures should be doing that to you too. Is this a place where people can ask questions? Is this a place where we can have somebody in our midst who doubts? Is this a place where we can, can, can verbalize those struggles, those things that we are wrestling with, without shooting each other down? Can we listen to one another and be patient with one another? Love one another, even in the midst of a scary question or an, a question we don't know the answer to. See, faith is, is, is about having confidence in God, not confidence in me. I can be wrong all day. God will never be wrong. I was reading in Isaiah t- chapters 26 and 27, which I'd recommend. Well, what part of the Bible wouldn't I recommend? Anyway, 26 and 27, um, which many of you remember that section of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah as a prophet is sort of being given these visions, and he is staring down the barrel of Babylon. And Babylon is marching forward, and he knows that when Babylon shows up on the scene, that the walls will be knocked down, that the temple will be burned, that the people will be killed and dragged away into exile. And you know what he says in the face of this impending doom, in the face of this cloud of darkness, he says this. He says, O Lord, you You will ordain peace for us, for indeed, you have done all our works for us. That everything that has come or gone in the life of Isaiah or the life of the people of Israel, God has ordained it and allowed it. And his faith is that God will give Israel peace. And so faith is not pretending the world isn't sometimes cold, dark, or dangerous. Faith doesn't look at the past, the present, or the future with ephotic fear. But like the great saints of old, we push forward that this is a shield that pushes forward in the battle because we can hold fast to the confession of faith. For we know that he who promised is faithful even when we are wrong, even when something new comes. Even when there's a change, God is faithful and true. Faith must be agile and mobile in battle if it is going to give us the kind of confidence that we need. Thirdly, Paul uses the word faith to talk about unity. Um, did I put that up? Nope. Okay. Faith uses, he uses it to talk about unity. Uh, this is a sermon in itself, but obviously for the sake of time we won't do it. But jot down a few verses as I mention them here. 
Faith as unity is multifaceted, and here's a couple examples. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, he says that Christ has broken down the dividing wall, and there is now peace between those who were hostile with one another. Churches which are mostly known for fighting with one another, or fighting with the outside world. It says here that Jesus has broken down that wall, that Jesus has eliminated the hostility, and that there is now peace. You are now the children of God, ergo, Matthew chapter 5, you are now Peacemakers. For peacemakers, right? Children of God. Are we living that way? Is that true of our faith, of our unity here? Ephesians 4, 5 says that we share one faith. Uh, Do we have a unified one faith? Are we united in the principles of the scriptures that are true in the sense of the essentials? Are the essentials unifying us so that Oakland Drive Christian Church is unified in one faith? Can we say that of ourselves? Ephesians 2, and we read uh, verses 1 through 10, there where he's laying out a, a moral condemnation for the world and a moral prescription for the church. Is our church unified in what we believe to be moral? Or are we, as the statistics seem to point out, that within the church, there is a disparity between what people consider right and wrong, and almost none of it seems to emanate from the scriptures, but rather from the culture. Are we unified in what the Bible says is right and wrong? Are we allowing the world around us to dictate that? That's an important question for every church. But I especially love uh, 4.13, chapter 4, verse 13, this, until we attain, we all attain, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature adulthood or manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, uh, you aren't perfect here today, right? You aren't perfect here today, and that is good news. Because it means that God still loves you even though you're not perfect. We don't have to put on some sort of air of perfection in our following Jesus. As we read in chapter uh, 2, it's not based upon our works. And so becoming a believer doesn't mean we have to become perfect in that moment, but rather that becoming a believer initiates growth. Are we growing? Faith is a thing that begins to grow us. And that's a process. It takes time. Some of you are trying to be perfect today. And just... Let God grow you. Ask the question, am I beginning to bud with fruit? Not am I, you know, hanging fruit that's been there for years and years, but am am I beginning to bud with the fruit of the Spirit? Which leads to a second piece of good news, and that is each of us is in a different phase of faith. So look around for a moment, right? All of these people here are at a different phase. Thank you. The only one in the audience who does it is this, this little guy right here who's being awfully loud and obnoxious this morning. (laughs) Looking around, right? Everyone here is at a different phase of faith. And what I find is that Christians like to compare themselves to other Christians. Namely, I like to say I'm better than you. And I don't say it out loud, of course. I just think it. Can I get a witness, right? Come on. You guys are all sitting there like, you don't know what I'm talking about. You totally do. We look down and we say, well, I'm not like that person. And that's the way we live this Christian life. We judge each other. And what is wonderful about this growing into maturity is it enumerates that this faith is a growth process and none of us are in the same spot. And some of us are farther ahead than other people. And what that means not is that you look down and say, boy, you're not as far ahead as as I am. It means that you are given an obligation to reach out your hand and lift someone up. 
That if you could look down on somebody and say, boy, I don't think they're living the kind of Christian life that I would choose to live, well then say to them, hey, listen, let's walk together. Let's grow together. Let's study the scriptures together. Spend time in my house. Eat at my table. Spend time with me. How did Jesus make disciples? Was it preaching at them? No, it was by inviting people to sit and eat with him. If you want people to grow in your church, if you want to grow in your church, because I will be willing to venture the guess that you are not as mature a Christian as you think you are. If you want to grow in the church, eat at the table with other believers, open the scriptures together and challenge one another to this, to maturing in the faith. That's what this is all about. We talked about this last week. Christianity is not a a one-person sport. It is a team sport. It is something that we are in this together. Christianity is a community of faith. That is the heart of our small church groups that we talked about last week. That's the heart of a church itself. That's the heart of this whole thing, is that God is calling together a people. He is filling them with faith so that they might be saved. He is filling them with faith so that they might have confidence. And he is filling them with faith so that they might grow to maturity. Are you growing in your faith? Are you maturing in your faith? Because that takes a community. You can't do it by yourself. You can't do it by just praying or reading scriptures by yourself. It must be done. The unifying community of faith. So whose faith are you locked into? You know, this is what they used to call a phalanx. You would put the shield up, and Paul, who's there, uh, would put his shield next to me, and Laura might put her shield next to him, and Mark might be busy making lots of shields this week, but we'll have a lot of shields up here. And this whole thing becomes a phalanx that allows us to push forward when the enemy is coming at us, to protect us from that onslaught. Whose shield are you locked in with? Here today. And that phalanx also allowed us to push forward and protect a fallen, uh, fallen friend. Who are you protecting today? Who are you letting doubt, question, and heal without finishing what the enemy started? Who are you protecting today behind your shield? Who are you locked in with? Who are you helping? Who are you pushing forward with? Who are you fighting with? Who are you sharing Jesus with? Where is that happening in your life? See, faith is not just salvation. It's not just confidence. It's also unity. It's also bringing us together. And and that's the whole point of of what faith is doing. It is drawing us in this sort of, this great conflagration, bringing us all together as believers Jesus came and he left the kingdom of heaven to walk the dusty roads of mankind and to speak faith and truth and love, conviction, judgment. He called people to repentance. He called people to change. But he said it begins with this. It begins with faith. It begins with you drawing close to the faith that's revealed in him and the faith that is revealed in his body. The interesting thing about this Bible is that it doesn't start with Jesus. Like the first two-thirds are what? The Old Testament, right? The people of God marching forward against all enemies. And then the rest of it is the people of God marching forward against all enemies. And as we come to a conclusion of this scriptures, of, of this long, long story, We read about a new heaven and a new earth. 
that's been transformed and out of heaven comes this kingdom, this new Jerusalem that comes down and alights. And, and there are people who are crying out, who are giving praise, who are thanking God because now they are finally seeing, at last they are finally seeing the world as it should be. There is perfect and complete unity in faith. And so this morning, my final sort of question to you is where are you in this journey that we've talked about? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you received his salvation? Just received it. Let him pour out his grace and love on you. Or maybe you're lacking confidence and it's time for you to let faith do what it needs to do in you and give you boldness, give you access to God so that you can step forward in the battle and you can begin to share Jesus in a new and powerful way is that you this morning? Or do you need to connect to the church? Have you been hopping from church to church or maybe this is the first time you've even entered a church in a while? Do you need to connect to the church to become a member here? Do you need to plug into a ministry here? Do you need to be unified in the faith? Where are you on this journey? Where do you need to grow? We invite you to come forward if you need anything. If any part of those speaks to you, or maybe you just need prayer this morning. We'll have an elder down here. I'll be down here. We will pray with you. We will walk with you. You are not alone in this. Let's stand as we give praise to our God.